This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of John, John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, who gave power to become the children of God, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We're very happy in this new year that Reverend Micah and Reverend Kristen were able to get away for a bit, uh, but we're also very excited to have Reverend Bruce Fitzgerald back with us. And I say back because, of course, you know he's a former pastor of Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church. And while we're not in the same building, it's still the same church. Amen. And we're glad to have you with us this morning and look forward to hearing what God has laid on your heart. Come, Brother, Reverend Bruce. It is a uh, great privilege for me to be here today. Uh, honor to be with you, and I appreciate the invitation. I often get to preach after Christmas. Usually, it's the Sunday after Christmas when pastors are taking a much-deserved and much-needed day off after a busy, crazy, wild Advent season. But this year, the Sunday after Christmas, was December 26th. So most pastors just stayed and preached in their own pulpits. Uh, usually, I get invited to preach at my home church now at Dolphin Way. First Sunday after Christmas, they figure, nobody's going to be there. What can he hurt? But uh, I did have several opportunities uh, to be involved in other services today. But I chose to be here with you, and I appreciate your presence here. So we'll have a prayer, and then we'll jump in. Lord, I pray you would send your Holy Spirit here, and that you would do with us 
and in us and through us. What it is that you purpose to do here today. Amen. Do you like the start of something? Do you like beginnings? I'm in my 70s now. How that happened, I will never know. But it did. But on Saturdays, in the fall, I'm wide awake at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. Football games are being played. And I get excited, even if my team's not playing. I get excited. And I'm wide awake early in the morning. Out of bed by 6 o'clock in the morning. It's ridiculous. But that's the adrenaline, the excitement. Something's about to start. For years, I coached youth baseball, uh, even after my son was grown, had children of his own. I was still coaching up until about 15 years ago. I was still coaching baseball. And one small town where I lived, on opening day, the entire town would shut down. The teams, the players, the coaches, all be dressed for ball games, would meet on one side of town, parade all the way through the small downtown to the other side of town where the ballparks were. And that day, at some point, every team would play. The fields were just pristine. The players' uniforms still clean. Nobody would struck out yet. Nobody made an out. No team had lost. It was just magnificent. And the entire town turned out because it was the start of something. At Dolphin Way a few years ago, we had a young, energetic, associate pastor, creative man. He loved to start things. Now, staying in one row and plowing it all the way till its logical conclusion, that was not his strength. But his adrenaline got going and he just loved to start new ministries. A few months ago, Nancy got some seeds in the mail. And I enjoyed taking those seeds and getting a pot and some potting soil and putting the seeds down in the soil and taking the pot and setting it out in the sun and occasionally watering it and watching the little green sprouts come up through the dirt and become a plant. Something was starting. The writer of the fourth gospel takes us back 
to the start of things. In fact, he goes back before the start of things, before the start of everything. He starts his gospel. This is a gospel. You know what a gospel is? This is good news of Jesus. He starts his gospel with three interesting words. In the beginning. You ever seen those words in the Bible anywhere before? John is so intentional about that. He's taken us back to Genesis 1.1. You understand what John is doing here? You understand what he's trying to say? That from the beginning of God, before God created anything, God was planning for your salvation and mine. Do you get it, folks? Do you understand the kind of God we worship and serve? How much God loves us that before God had a thought of anything else, God thought about us? And how to save us. He knew we'd mess up. He knew we'd sin. He knew we'd do things that would separate us from Him. And so He was planning before the beginning. From the beginning, God was planning to redeem us. To bring us back to Him. And Jesus was life. By the way, all the themes of John's gospel are right here in these 14 verses. As a writer, he's just genius. Life, light, darkness, power, will of God, grace, truth. They're all right here. In him was life, major theme in John's gospel, life, new life, everlasting life. All through, he introduces it here. Jesus' life, John says, was the light for men. You get the theme of the day, this is Epiphany Sunday Celebrating the wise men coming to see Jesus. Light, salvation for the Gentiles. Again, the great symbolism. How did the wise men get to know where the manger and crib and Jesus were? They followed a light. See the symbolism? Light. Today's a day we're celebrating the light of Jesus Christ. Light shining in the darkness. Scientists 
people that have studied this tell us that the human eye, a normal human eye, can see a little 100 watt light bulb on the porch of a house up to a mile away. Just a little light. Just a little light. Our pastor at Dolphin Way Contemporary Service last Sunday did, did a whole sermon on light and darkness and made the point that when there's light, light's already one. It's, it's, not, it's not an equal contest. We think of it as good versus evil, two strong forces, two opposing forces, two equal forces. But when light's shining, darkness is already lost. Amen? Hallelujah. The light shines in the darkness. Several years ago, I was at a, some meeting at Blue Lake Camp, our conference camp, and I'd been sitting in a chair all day and just had to get up and move around and made the disastrous decision about dusk to take a little walk. And somehow I ended up in a part of the camp I wasn't really familiar, and I tripped over a log I didn't see, and I fell down a ravine and everything was dark, and I got a little disoriented and kind of had a panic attack. And then off in the distance, I saw a light. It happened to be on the porch of the director of the camp's house. And I knew if I could ever get to where that light was, I was going to be okay. Just, just a little light. Just a little light. Now, imagine the light of Jesus Christ. Darkness doesn't have a chance. He was in the world, John tells us. And the world didn't know him. He came to his own people. And his own people didn't receive him. You understand what John's saying here, don't you? His own people, it's not the Jews. It's not people who lived in Palestine. Human beings are who John's talking about. He came to his own home. 
John says. Again, he's not talking about Nazareth. He's not talking about the Middle East. He's talking about planet Earth. I was very fortunate to grow up up in Eight Mile, northern part of Pritchard, Alabama. I tell people I was born in Pritchard, raised in Crichton. The only thing I'm afraid of is thunder and lightning. I live two buildings down from the Myers Memorial Baptist Church building. Our house, Mr. Holtz's house, then the church building. And I hadn't started school yet, I'm, so I'm, I'm five, about to turn six. And I wander over to Bible school at Myers Memorial one summer. And the theme that week was God so loved. So they taught me, I mean, I'm here a little, little five-year-old. And they teach me. John 3.16. You remember it? God so loved heaven that he and Jesus stayed up there in heaven, right? No. John 3.16 says God so loved the world. He sent his only son into the world. You know what world John's talking about? This old, dirty, dying, decaying, sinful world right here. This is the world God loves. My devotional yesterday, it was really strange to me that they would choose this text for New Year's Day, but my devotional yesterday was on Revelation 21, the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. John 21 gives us the promise of a new heaven, yeah, and a new earth. And the last words of the book of Revelation, the last words in the Bible, in Greek, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Come back here. Fix this world. We're the world God loves. My daughter teaches writing, teaches 
college freshmen and college sophomores how to write. She never starts a poem or a short story or even an academic paper without knowing how it's going to end. Our son is a mechanical engineer. He never starts a drawing for a muffler assembly or whatever it is he's designing for his company to build. He never starts that drawing without knowing what he wants it to look like in the end. God here, from the very beginning, was planning how things were going to end. Glory, hallelujah. To all who received him who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. Paul in Romans is trying to explain how we Gentiles, though not Jewish, though not part of God's original chosen people, how now through Jesus we've been adopted. And Paul gets carried away with his own theology and at one point he just says, we cry out, Abba, Father. Because God has adopted us as his children. He gave power. Paul wrote to Timothy that the Spirit of God is not, is not a spirit of fear or timidity, but of An older pastor had had a New Testament that he had carried around with him through his ministry, used it a long time. It's one he could carry easily. And he just absolutely wore it out. He, he broke the binding, you know. The pages wouldn't stay in it. He had a woodworking friend, church member, and he took the pages to his friend and he says, listen, I've worn this, this leather binding completely out and broken it and torn it up, dragged. I want you to make me a wooden cover for my New Testament that I can't wear out. 
Woodworker said, oh, okay, I can cut some wood. I'll make you one. He made him a wooden binding for the New Testament. And he didn't want to take the time to carve out on the cover the New Testament. So he just put the initials. TNT. He had it right, didn't he? This is spiritual dynamite here, folks. The power of God. To all who received him, he gave power. Power to become children of God. In closing, I want to go back to light. Life and light. Uh, Greek Orthodox Archbishop retired from his Episcopal duties and moved to an island off the coast of Greece. Tiny little place. Very little on the island except for Orthodox Sanctuary, Greek Orthodox Church Building, a few fishermen and their families. And three, four times a year, the bishop leads retreats, spiritual growth retreats for people. These are three, four-day retreats, usually four days, three nights. And at the end, before he dismisses, the very end of the retreat, he has an open question-answer session about anything that he's mentioned or taught or that they've been dealing with throughout the retreat. And one day at the conclusion, guests come from all over the world, an American, of course it had to be an American, said to him, uh, I have a question, Bishop. Yes? He said, what is the meaning of life? People laughed and giggled. Archbishop said, no, no, no. Don't, don't laugh at our brother. That is a very profound question. And I want to answer it. He said, I grew up here on this very island. In World War II, the Nazis bombed it. Completely destroyed our little village. Nothing much left at all. There were no toys for me to play with. So one day, I found a broken, shattered piece of a mirror. And I took it and I took some rocks and I ground off the sharp edges, kind of rounded it off. 
So I could carry it around without cutting me. I could put it in my pocket. It was my only toy. And I took that little piece of the mirror and I'd go around the village and I'd take it and I'd face the light with it and then I'd shine it into the dark places on the uh, caves and holes bombed out houses and he said and that that is the meaning of life to shine God's light into the dark places of our world. I want to close the sermon today in a sort of an unusual fashion. I'm going to ask you to help me if you're willing. I'm going to ask you to stand as you're able, as you were able. And I'd like for us to sing the first verse of that ditty, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Would y'all do that with me? Let's stand together. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Glory to God today. Amen.